Thank you to Contentful for supporting our podcast. I'm Marcelo Lewin, and this is the Contentful Creators Podcast, Season 1, Episode 22. So let's get to it. Hello and welcome to Season 1, Episode 22 of the Contentful Creators Podcast, where I have conversations with content architects, designers, developers, and other creators who use the Contentful content platform and related technologies to create web experiences. I'm your host, Marcelo Lewin, a Senior Content Solutions Architect and a Certified Contentful Professional. Today, I'll be chatting all about image formats and how to manipulate images using the Contentful Image API with my guest, Alan White, an interdisciplinary designer and developer who works at Contentful as a solutions engineer. But before we get started, if you want more podcast episodes, tutorials, webinars, and blog articles, all focused on creating web experiences using Contentful and related technologies, please visit www.contentfulcreators.com. All right, Alan, welcome to the podcast. Hi, Marcelo. Thanks for having me. I'm glad to have you here. The reason I invited you is I read your article, which we're going to put in the show notes. You wrote a really cool article about images and Contentful Image API. And you spoke about that and how it works. And I found it fascinating. And I thought we could expand on that and have a longer conversation about that. So thanks for agreeing to do that. Yeah, absolutely. I I love images and the Contentful Images API was one of my favorite things about Contentful that drew it to me as a user. And we're going to talk about not just the API, but we're going to get into other image APIs, computer vision, and a whole bunch of other stuff. But before we do that, give us a bit about your background. Well, my journey with photography started pretty young. My grand My father was an art professor and my dad was also into design as a young man and photography. And he had a uh, Yashica 35 millimeter camera, an old analog one with a 35 millimeter lens. When I was about 15, probably mid 1980s, started uh, shooting black and white photography and taking it seriously. And I really got into photography. I did a lot of landscape photography as a kid you know, admired artists like Ansel Adams and Henri Cartier-Bresson, you know, some of the great photographers. It's something that led me to pursue design as a career. So I studied design in college. I have a bachelor in fine arts in design, graduated mid-90s and uh, started my work in tech and, and doing a variety of jobs over the years. And images have always been a part of that. Images, in fact, were kind of my earliest, like serious sort of design discipline. My work in tech, um, you know, led me into questions of how do you get the most business value out of these important assets? How do you, you know, and as a designer, I've been engaged with questions like, how do you choose and deliver these images? How do you crop them? How do you choose them for maximum impact? Right. If you're trying to move the lever on a particular, you know, you're trying to persuade someone in a brand sort of moment. How do you select them? How do you uh, alter them? How do you, you know, do all those things in Photoshop that I did kind of as a young man, but now in my later career, it's kind of like it's shifted to more of how do we get the most business value out of them? And part of that value is how do you deliver them uh, fast? How do you have big, gorgeous, beautiful images that tell your brand story, that show your brand promise, that show off your product, that kind of convey the message that your organization is trying to do, but do it in a way that's highly performant and just optimal is the right sweet spot. What I like about this domain is it's art and science. There is a great deal of science behind how our vision works, how humans see images, how we interpret them. What areas can you compress a little bit to kind of cheat based on how humans see things? <laughs> you know, uh, pull some of the reds out or blur the reds in the in an image and but still deliver an image faster. That's how JPEG works. We'll talk about that. 
you know, little things like that, but it's also, it's also art. It's also, oh, well, how far is too far? You know, oh, this image is getting a little too soft. We're cropping out someone important's face. <laughs> it's this ongoing, never ending dialogue and tension between the visual designers in the tech world and the programmers, people who are, you know, trying to get squeeze every last bit of performance out of their online experiences. Yeah, definitely. That's a big area is performance, but also like you mentioned, emotion, right? How do you bring out that emotion in people that you want through your photograph? And when people think about that, they all go, well, that's more art and not really for my e-commerce website. But I would argue that on the contrary, people will act and purchase whatever you want to purchase based on that image and how you present that image. Yeah, exactly. Absolutely. Okay, so there's a lot of things that people need to understand about image. Like you said, there is a science and the art. Today, we're going to focus more on the science. The art is very subjective, and that's more for a photography kind of podcast. Let's start with formats. What are considered image formats? You know, I talked earlier about the conversation and relationship between the people responsible for creating the images, the designers, photographers, visual designers, and the developers who are responsible with delivering those images. So that's an on ongoing dialogue that needs to happen. So both of those parties need to have a very good handle on image formats. I think the simple version of that conversation is if you have a photograph of a person, of a scene, if it's a continuous tone photograph, JPEG is probably the easy choice. Other formats like Ping, GIF, WebP, we'll touch on SVG. It's kind of like there's photos and then there's everything else. <laughs> and then there's some caveats that we're going to talk about that it's important to learn if you are going to master images online. Getting back a little bit into formats themselves, even before we get into the JPEG versus PNG and when to use it, I think the basic understandings of how images work and how compression can affect certain things would be a good baseline to start at. Once you understand which format to choose, then it's appropriate to learn a little more about how compression works, right? So this particularly will come in when you try to push that envelope. If you, you know, don't need to compress your images a whole lot and your digital experiences, for example, are not super image heavy, you can kind of like set some basics. Does it look good? Does it load fast? You're probably okay. But when you start pushing that envelope, and you start really trying to squeeze the most out of your images, that's when it is important to understand. Now, in general, and there are exceptions to every rule here, but in general, with JPEG, again, the continuous tone photographs, people, places, objects, that's where JPEG's fundamental approach to compression is lossy. That means you will, if you keep pushing it, if you keep compressing it, it will start to visually break down. You will see visual artifacts. It'll get blocky. Once you get into the very frontier of pushing it to the max, you'll start to see it separates the luma, that is the lightness and darkness of an image, from the chroma, which is the color. Our human vision doesn't notice when you compress the chroma. If you see the detail in the edges around a shape, around a face, and around someone's eyes, those will be retained. Imagine a black and white image. It's almost like uh, if you think of it as a, a colorized image, like an old black and white photo that's been painted on. If you blur the colors a little bit, like it's okay. Then that's kind of how JPEG works. It's actually kind of a, an ancient, by digital standards, it's actually a fairly ancient algorithm. It's not the most sophisticated that could be designed. And as we'll see when we talk about WebP, there's some better algorithms out there. Definitely. So you spoke about lossy versus lossless compression. So just to clarify that, lossy, obviously, when you're compressing it, I mean, you're going to lose some of that quality. Where lossless, it's a one-to-one, -one, right? You're not losing anything. 
ping portable network graphic formats. A good use case for pings are things like infographics, logos, illustrations, diagrams, screenshots. So the nice thing about ping as a format is that its fundamental compression algorithm is lossless. So that means that the more you can compress it and you won't see a lot of visual degradation. One tool that I use all the time, it's called ImageOptim. It's a little Mac app that I can just throw a batch of images on and it will compress those for web. It will actually take ping and do a slight amount of lossy compression. So you can, that's a setting you can do. You know, some of these formats are mature enough to where you can push them even further if you know what you're doing. Now there's some advanced techniques. I mean, again, that's where that art and science comes into play. It requires experience. It requires understanding the underlying technology a little bit. Now you mentioned a variety of uh, formats. There's one that's very special and one that's new to me, which I'm not very familiar with, which is the WebP format. Can you give us a quick overview of that format and when should we use it? Yeah, WebP is definitely one to watch if you are a professional that is handling or delivering images. So WebP was created by Google back in 2010. It is a much more modern set of compression algorithms. So it provides both lossless and lossy compression. The biggest advantage is smaller image sizes without compromising on quality. It has a lossless mode. They can be uh, 26% smaller than comparable ping files. Lossy images can be, you know, if it's like photograph, continuous tone, they can be 25 to 35% smaller than comparable JPEG images. It also has an alpha channel. So it sounds fantastic, right? Like, why wouldn't you use it all the time? Well, the biggest problem is because it's new, it has some browser compatibility challenges. So I'm looking at the Can I Use page. If you go to caniuse.com and look up WebP, the, currently, the only big gaps are Internet Explorer, and that's kind of old. That's going to be sunsetted pretty soon, so that's not a big problem. But Apple has really uh, been a problem here with Safari on desktop and iOS is not supported. Now, the good news is the next versions of those browsers to come out, Safari and Chrome for iOS 14 and Safari 14 uh, technology preview currently support that. So I think that is going to change pretty soon. And we're seeing people updating their browsers at a much more frequent rate now these days. So So I'm thinking within the next year, this question will completely change. So, so far we spoke about JPEG, PNG, GIF, WebP. You mentioned SVG format as well. And this is important because we're talking about images that you can make smaller, resize into a smaller version, but not enlarge. Those are your JPEGs, PNG, GIFs, and WebP. With SVGs, you can go up or down, right? And can you explain why and how that works? Yeah, so SVG is a fundamentally different format, and it's related to this conversation because it's a thing that designers have to touch. SVG is actually quite an old format. I think it was first created in the late 80s. It's similar to HTML in structure. So you've got this onion skin layering of the code structure. It's a document you can just edit. You can actually open up an SVG in a text editor and change stuff and play with it if you know what you're doing. It kind of stands apart from these other formats in type, but it is something that designers and developers need to be educated about because you can do quite a lot with SVG. SVG support really kicked up, I don't know, five to seven years ago. Now you can animate them. You can do all kinds of stuff. What Flash was in the early 2000s, and I'm an old Flash guy, loved it. It's some of the things that were only now I'm getting around to being able to do today with SVG, with image transparency like ping. We were doing in Flash 15, 20 years ago almost, right? So SVG is really, really helpful because it's math. It's based on Bezier curves. It's based on vectors, right? So that's different than all the other image formats. 
Because it's vectors, that means that's lines as opposed to pixels. It is something that can be scaled, resized infinitely without any breakdown in the quality. It also is highly, highly performant when it comes to file size. Unless you're bloating your SVG by like doing crazy things by embedding other images inside of it or other stuff like that, you could create really complex and very compact images through SVG. So I would encourage you to learn SVG. There's a lot of great guides on the internet. Sarah Sahiden on uh, Twitter is one of my favorite resources for that. She's got some great guides that'll help people get the most out of SVG. So you said that you can edit SVGs opening it up because it's basically text. So that means that really SVG is not a binary format. And that's why it scales infinitely because it's just using, as you mentioned before, math versus all the others. They're pure binary and they're stuck on that size. And I think that's an important concept to understand because especially as you're creating images, a lot of people will take a small image and resize it into a much larger one to scale it up. And then that's where you start seeing pixelation, which in SVG, you don't have pixelation. Yeah, that's right. It's really useful. Now, you need to have the tools to create them. My favorite tool is Figma for that. I've also used Sketch. Adobe Illustrator will do it. There's some other tools like Inkscape. I think they're still around. Affinity Designer, I think, can create SVG. A lot of applications can do that now. And people in the design space are generally familiar with them. You're starting to see it more and more because it's beautiful and scalable. There's still a few hangups with the format. I would say really the workflow. Things like embedding typefaces. Typically, you have to outline them. Some design insider stuff that uh, you might need to be aware of if you're working with them. If you're a web designer and you're using tools like Figma or Sketch, you're going to be encountering SVG. Now, there's a couple sort of things to know if you're a contentful customer, but also this would apply to any CMS, I think. Depending on what you want to do with the SVG in the digital experience, you have different options with how you can deliver these SVGs. So you can upload SVGs to Contentful via our assets screen and deliver them just like an image. And then you can just access it like an image, you know, image source, file path, and then .svg. That'll just display it is handled like an image, just like this sort of blob, and you lose a lot of the accessibility and flexibility benefits by doing it that way. That can work, and there's situations where that makes sense, but you're maybe not getting the most out of it. If you want to target the parts of the SVG, let's say you've got an SVG of a car, and you want to show the wheels spinning, or the car bouncing up and down. Like If you want to animate it with CSS or JavaScript, then you'll want to actually inline that SVG into your front-end experience, right? That means you're going to inject it. So that means you're probably not delivering that SVG with Contentful. You're probably building it into your delivery stack. I was working on a middleman project. I had a middleman Ruby gem for embedding and inlining SVGs. What that does is that makes the SVG part of the DOM, the document object model. So then you can manipulate it. You can do cool stuff with it. It's a lot more flexible. It just means it's a little bit of a different workflow. And the last point I'll make, and and that's really probably not a best practice, but you can in a pinch, and that is the Contentful Images API can do a basic transformation of SVG into another format. Like you can convert it from SVG to ping or JPEG on the fly, but it won't exceed the pixel dimensions of the SVG. So you can't scale it up with that, unfortunately. That would be super cool. (laughs) And I might add that if people want to do that, Uh, as a product suggestion, but uh, it's useful for fallbacks. If you're dealing with formats, if you need to just spit out an icon, it works fine. 
There is one last format that we can just quickly touch upon because some people may get this and they think they can upload and use it on the web, which is a raw format. The raw photograph, let's say they shoot with like Canon 5D or whatever. I know many people would think that they could just take that and upload it real quick and then we'll move on to the rest of the questions. But explain a little bit about why is raw different, what makes it good and why we can't use it on the web directly. So these are some areas that I encountered in my journey as a photographer, right, is dealing with these raw image formats. And every vendor, Nikon, Canon, Sony, they all have their different raw formats. And the key distinction to understand is it's a mastering format. So just like Photoshop PSD files are what a designer or artist would use to composite and create all kinds of fantastic things. Those are going to be very, very large. We don't deliver those directly on the web. So raw formats like Adobe's DNG format, there's a couple others, Canon RAW, they are essentially inappropriate to deliver. Now, you're going to want to run those through your system. Like my favorite has been Lightroom over the years. I've used Lightroom many, many years. Typically, what I'll do is I'll export those out of Lightroom either to my machine or one of my favorite things is using a service like SmugMug, which has a direct integration. So if you're a professional photographer and you're dealing with images, exporting them out of your raw editor, in this case, Lightroom, via a plugin. Something that I haven't explored that would be interesting to find out is, is there a way to make a Lightroom plugin that uploads directly to Contentful? Because that would be super cool. That would be super cool for sure. I would love to do that. And I can't imagine that it would be too hard to do. But anyway, I think we've covered formats to death here. I think people know probably more than they ever wanted to know about formats. But I think it's important thing to know because it really does set the basis for the rest. You mentioned a lot about delivering quickly images, right? Because that's an important thing. We become very impatient. We want things very, very quickly. Part of it is compression. It's being able to compress images to a certain degree so you can deliver them or they can download quickly. The other part also in a mobile experience is making them responsive. Can you explain what that means? Creating images that can be responsive. Responsive images allow you to deliver the right image dimensions in pixels the right size to the right device. And so one tactic is to use a source set and it will only load the one that's appropriate to the viewport. Basically, what you're doing is instead of delivering one image, you're delivering an array of images. You're delivering a list of images. And it's on us as designers and web developers to curate the sizes of that. Sometimes they might even be different shapes, right? You might be delivering a square format on mobile and you might need to go extra wide on a desktop. Let's say you're doing a a headline banner image, right? That covers the top third of the screen or whatever. And that opens up some interesting challenges when it comes to art direction. Let's say you have a photo of people and they're on the left side of your banner image and then you've got some text on the right. So how do you crop that? Do you just let it scale down as you, as your viewport shrinks? Well, then you can't see the people, you know, and then you can't see the text. So you might actually need to create a separate image for smaller viewports, or you might need to get smart about how you do the cropping. We have some face detection features that are very handy for cropping around the face. You can kind of set a focal point manually. And once you get into more advanced images implementations with some of our app framework extensions. You can do things like AI image tagging. You can apply machine learning to images and that will sort of work into the overall 
challenge of responsive images. Now I have a question about the image sets that you create as a designer. You create three, four, five, whatever that set includes, right? Is there a way with Contentful using the image API to just have one image and then through the image API, depending on the width of the viewport, we could use the image API just to generate what we need dynamically on the fly. So I was a Contentful customer for about three years before I joined Contentful in this last January. And this was absolutely one of the capabilities that drew me to Contentful was that I could upload one master image that I had really gotten clean in Photoshop or whatever my design tool was. And then I could reuse that for all the different source sets dimensions for my responsive imagery because I wanted to deliver them and I wanted them to be fast. I want those high lighthouse scores. I want my SEO to be as good as it can be. I felt like mastering this as a digital craftsman was important to do. So definitely you can see some examples in the blog post in question that I know you'll share in your show notes where I, I break down like here's a photo of a lovely young lady and we're going to take that and crop that down into say an avatar. Basically all you do is you tack on some attributes, things like width, height, fit, targeting the face. You can pick a region of the photo. So as a developer, when you're creating the front end experience, you can just add those attributes on and it will just deliver that image. It's basically creating a new one. You just set those attributes. It generates the images. Our CDN delivers them really fast. The first time you hit it, it caches those. So that means that all your users that hit it at scale in the millions or the hundreds of millions, they're going to get those cached images. They're very, very fast. It's just nice to, as a developer, not have to worry about like, well, where are my images stored? How do I handle that? Am I costing my company money by having to think about that? You don't have to think about it anymore. Well, and from the design perspective, you only have to basically maintain one copy versus 20 different versions, right? Let's say you change, I don't know, you decide to change the shirt color of the person that's in the photograph. Now you got to do that to 20 photographs, different sizes versus just doing one and letting the code handle the rest. Now, of course, this sounds like, oh, wow, this fixes every problem in the world. It really doesn't, right? Because depending Depending on, like you said, cropping, even if you do a focus point on that girl to the avatar, you may still not like that crop, especially with designers. As we all know, designers are very pixel perfect. They want everything to be perfect. Sometimes the code can't do it. We had a customer come through. They were selling travel stuff. Boy, their images were just fantastic. Just big, gorgeous images, famous people, lifestyle stuff. They were fantastic. They had this problem too. They're like, how do we make our user experience faster? So having that conversation, that ongoing dialogue between the people creating the images and the people delivering the images. That's the creators and web developers, photographers, and the designers, engineers, front-end specialists, infrastructure people who are responsible for delivering those images. You want to find that balance. And sometimes the balance is going to be more on the compression side. Other times, it's all about that big, beautiful image. Hey, we're going to take our time. We need you to look at this gorgeous thing. Sometimes those are fun as well. Right. And it's also your audience needs. Like, I'm not going to make a decision to purchase your product if the image doesn't portray that beautiful scenery because you're about vacations in Hawaii and you show me a really bad image, then obviously it's not going to work. So you have, as an audience member, I'm probably going to expect that it may take a little bit longer to load because I do want to see that beautiful image. Yeah, it's a good point. Like I'm thinking of a guy, his name's Jesse. He's a landscape photographer. The guy is always up in the wilderness 
crack of dawn, getting these incredible images. And his site is just stunning. You're there for the images. That is what he is about. He is selling you prints and calendars and other things. And yeah, absolutely. Quality is paramount. And people are probably willing to wait to see those incredible images. Yeah, definitely. So you mentioned that these image sets, the ones that we generate via code are stored somewhere that we don't know about as developers. It's magical and it's cash. Wonderful. What about the original? How is the original image stored in Contentful? You know, it's stored in our systems. Essentially, it lives in the cloud. That's several layers of abstraction. Um, it actually kind of depends on where you are on planet Earth, whether you're getting delivered by Fastly or Ikemai. So there's some technical underpinnings there. The good news is, as a developer, it's not something that you need to worry about. And I don't say that to dismiss the concern at all. It's just that it's in practical terms. All you need to know is here's the images API. Here's the endpoint for it. Here's how I get my image. And then here's how I deliver it. And that's all in our document. Got it. But when you do make a backup of, let's say, a space that includes all your data and content model, you also have to make backups of those images. So they're not, for people's expectation, they're not stored in the actual database itself. They're stored on a file system that then you would have to basically download, which I know you can through the CLI. So let's switch a little bit on the Contentful side of things from the API. Give us an overview of the Contentful Images API, because it's different than all the other APIs, right? The other APIs are more for getting information and inserting information, where the Images API is more for, if I'm not mistaken, for manipulating images only. The Contentful Images API allows the retrieval and manipulation of image files referenced from our asset store. So you can store all kinds of things in Contentful. We call it the Images API and not the Asset API because images is the most common thing by far, 95, 99% of what people use it for, as opposed to delivering like files and PDFs and documents, etc. Okay, so it's to let you as a developer retrieve, manipulate, and then deliver that image in an optimal way. Now, when you hit the API, if you're a developer, you'll get a JSON response or you can represent it, think of it that way. The URL is the most important thing that you'll always be getting. You can get other details like title, file name, content type. Is it JPEG? Is it ping, et cetera? Some details. It's actually not a ton. So this is an area that... I'm hoping our product team will be expanding on. We did just roll out a new feature called tags. I believe they're near public. Most of our larger customers are already using them. But basically, there's now some native tags, and you could read about that at contentful.com. But this is something that people who handle images and manage them are going to care about. You know, adding tags like is featured image, is it a outside, is it daylight, is it, you know, what kind of thing is it? Is it a product image, whatever. So now those are some things that you can now get when you talk to our APIs. Basically, though, the job of the API is to let you deliver that image and you pick your parameters. You can add some parameters on top of that in order to convert the format, compress it more, add some flags. Like we haven't really touched on things like progressive JPEG and 8-bit pings. WebP is a whole other thing. Uh, you know, if you go to our developer documentation, you can learn all of the different things you could do with it. And the blog post covers, I think, the high points of that. One question I do have about the API is because you said you can use the images API to retrieve, but you can also use the CD API or CP API to retrieve the image, right? Not to manipulate it, but just to retrieve it. Is that correct? Let's say you have a blog post and you're trying to deliver that blog post. You're querying the Contentful Delivery API. So it would see a referenced asset. If you go to our documentation, you'll see an example of the fields you could get of what that would be like. But that would be within the 
overall API response of the larger piece of content. Yeah, you can still leverage the images API, add those attributes on the end of your URL, et cetera, but they're not going to be in the response. It's up to you as a developer to add those. Right, definitely. All right, let's talk about those three formats that you just mentioned because they are important. Progressive JPEG is a fairly old sort of flavor of JPEG. What it does is it gives the browser successive passes at it it's pretty ancient. I've used it a couple times when I'm trying to push the envelope. Again, that's where knowing this stuff really pays off. You know, your art director is saying, we can't shrink this anymore. This image, it's got to be big and gorgeous. You know, I need to see Serena Williams lounging on this luggage. <laughs> yeah, I mean, and that's an actual image, by the way. And it's fantastic. And it needs to look amazing. But the developer is saying, or the engineer is saying, no, we've got to be faster. That's where you need to have this education to educate yourself to go and take that further. Progressive JPEG, I would say, use it as an experiment. If you're doing your responsive image delivery well, then you're probably not going to need it. 8-bit ping is another format if you're really trying to push pings or you're using very small pings and you don't have transparency, it can be very helpful there. There's been a few times I've used that not too often. And didn't really touch on GIF, but it's definitely a format that people use. We don't do any transformations on that. I think you can resize it. That's about it. Probably it's going to look like garbage (laughs) if you do that. So, you know, GIF, it's universal, works everywhere, but it's kind of bloated. So if you're doing a lot of animation, definitely look to video as something that's going to be a little more efficient. Can we use the image API on images that are stored in an external DAM? For example, where you guys have the Cloudinary app that you can install and integrate with Cloudinary. Can we use the image API in that? So that's an interesting question. And that came up for one customer. I think it was in the automotive industry. So imagine used cars, you're selling cars, you're trying to buy them. You're trying to look at a lot of product photos. It's like, where do those car photos live? So it was interesting in this industry, the industry standard is this one player that basically manages data sets of those. And they're an external to Contentful, but they're all about storing the VIN of the car and the, the make and the model. They have that huge database and they have product images, all that stuff. It's an external source question with the customer was, do we try to put these in the images API or not? It was an interesting conundrum because that external source of data that, you know, they would sell to, you know, pretty much everyone in that industry, they didn't have an images API. You couldn't scale them on the fly. You you couldn't do a lot with them. We see this in other areas too, like e-commerce product providers. You know, you've got uh, commerce tools and Shopify and um, a couple others that are basically designed to work with headless commerce. Well, commerce, you know, a fundamental part of it is image handling. Some of those vendors have okay image APIs and some of them don't have any at all. And it's entirely on you to deliver those. So it's kind of like, do you then just not have a good experience and rely on that external provider? Or do you try to master it and somehow synchronize it with images API? So I will say the common use case for integrating a DAM digital asset manager like Cloudinary, what I think would count as one. It's more image specific, but then you've got the binders and brand folders are two, I think that we have app integrations with. The cool thing with those is, let's say you have a very busy agency model or a customer that just has tons of images. You have a lot of, let's say you're cranking out all kinds of things upstream outside of your web experience, brochures, you know, subway posters, videos, all this other stuff that doesn't need to live in Contentful, but you have heavy workflows around those upstream of Contentful. Can you bring those things into Contentful, synchronize them, and then leverage the images API? It's possible, but 
I don't see that many people doing it. It's complicated. Yeah. And then I believe some of them do have their own API as well, right? Which brings me to my next question about external image APIs, because there's plenty of them. I know you have some that, that, that you consider to be really great. Maybe you can tell us a little about them. And how can we use those external image APIs with Contentful itself? Contentful's core value proposition, and this is really the world that developers are pushing us towards, and that is headless customer experiences. We position ourselves as the content platform for your entire company to deliver customer experiences. Others focus on things like inventory management, customer data, embedding analytics into the whole thing. The new skill is integrating all of that. So we have some direct integrations with some of those things and others that, that wouldn't get directly integrated. The integration point is going to happen in the customer application. So we're getting pretty much close to the end here. I do want to get your take on what does the future hold for Contentful's image API and then for other image APIs in general? What would you like to see added to Contentful's image API in the short term, let's say, and in the longer term, just in the industry itself? So I want to talk about two areas. One is what our customers at Contentful are asking for. And then another, the things that I want. I'll make a distinction there. So our customers aren't pushing us terribly hard on this front. And I think part of the reason for that is the Images API, we're doing the basics fine, in my opinion. Now, what I want as a creative person is I want other transformations. I want to be able to, to do duotone images. I want to be able to blur the images and add filters. I want to desaturate them. I might want to invert them in some cases. And I can think of use cases for all of those things. Another area that we only touched on briefly, and I won't go into too deep because it's such a deep area, and that is lazy loading. Basically loading a very simple preview image in order to just to unblock the page loading. If you look at the way pages render, images block that. So the very first pass, like let's say you have a ton of images on your view or your page, you want to load some very low quality previews. You don't want them to look like garbage either, right? So one technique I've seen is to actually generate an SVG that's like an outline of the image. That's so cool. You couldn't do that with Contentful today. You'd have to do that on your application side. Another a technique that I use on my website, if you go to alanwhite.design, is if you look into the work section of the case studies, I blur the image. Now that particular site, I designed it before I joined Contentful. It's integrating with a company called Imagix. And they have a whole raft of image processing things that you can do. Now, our application integration with Cloudinary also lets you do the same things. As a developer, I found image Ixes <laughs> a little easier to navigate. So I went with that. But Cloudinary will do a lot of that stuff too. So that's where if you need to go beyond the normal, if you need to go beyond what we have out of the box, We've got integrations with organizations like Cloudinary. It gives you other things too. It's not just image processing. It's image metadata. It's advanced. You know, there's metadata embedded in JPEG images like IPTC, geolocation. You know, it could be tags. It could be, uh, you know, camera information. You know, what camera was this shot on? All that stuff is embedded in images. And if you need that kind of thing, you want to have an integration 
with something like Cloudinary. Right. Definitely. Cool. Well, Alan, I want to thank you for the time you spent. Um, I know a lot longer than what I told you we were going to spend. So thank you so much for that. You've shared a wealth of information. I really appreciate that. Very welcome. And I'm glad to be here. Thank you for interviewing me. And I appreciate you reading the blog post. And I'd love to hear other questions that we can talk about in the future. Definitely. Now, if people want to get a hold of you, do you want to give them your Twitter, email, website, whatever you like? Yeah. I mean, all my contact info is at alanwhite.design. And that's A-L-L-A-N white, like the color, dot design. Twitter is definitely where I hang out. And you can also find me in the Contentful community Slack if you go to contentful.com slash Slack. So I definitely recommend it as a place to go just to navigate your way to get started, have questions answered. You will find me and you as well, Marcelo, in the community Slack answering questions sometimes. Yeah, definitely. I love that community. I have it on all the time. So totally. Ellen, thank you so much for your time again. We'll post all of those links to our show notes. I'm glad you were here with us. Just a quick reminder to visit www.contentfulcreators.com for more podcast episodes, tutorials, webinars, and blog articles. So until the next episode, I'm your host, Marcella Lewin. Cheers, everyone. Oh, 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 oh